This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. Spooko is a podcast about one horror fan, that is Shag. I'm introducing a horror-averse person, that is me, my nickname is Peach, to horror films. And we do that by having a Wikipedia synopsis. And... Shag, I don't want to be too self-deprecating, but I think we've got a little bit indulgent from time to time over our 208 episodes, and we may have veered slightly off-topic on occasion. I think that's a fair a fair thing to say. Peach, it's weird because I, I think one of the strengths of you as a co-host mm. is mm. that you never admit any fault whatsoever, and so <laughs> it's, a, it's a slight cut in the armour when you show any vulnerability at all. Well, strap yourself in. Well, I hope you enjoyed it because <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm now going to talk about some more stuff I don't like uh, and why. And Shag, I think I've come to realize that um, you and I talk about rap music a lot and we talk about rap music with a lot of braggadocio in it. We've spoken about 50 Cent at considerable length until very sadly 50 Cent uh, and surely unsurprisingly in, in hindsight, endorsed Trump. And I was kind of like, yeah, well, like, we can't really talk about that. We used to speak about Bugsy Malone until very sadly Bugsy Malone was excited to be in a photograph with Jordan Peterson. Um, but we're also trying to be evolved people that are able to separate art from the artist in some way. So there's a song called One Direction, Shag, that I think you brought to my attention or perhaps an algorithm brought to my attention that's a Bugsy Malone song or it's an RD song with Bugsy Malone on it. Shag, and you remember that? And it is on one view, perhaps the best ever windows down loud music song ever made. And I sort of treated it that way for a while. And we're going to come back to why I no longer treat it like that. I don't like J. Cole, um, Shag, and we've had this discussion. And I think one of my formative experiences with J. Cole is something that's going to illuminate this issue for me today. It's where, like, we're going to talk about rappers bragging about their penises, right, and how it's just something that just does it. Like, I'm content and probably it reveals something about me. But really graphic penis brags are just not my thing. And in 2015, on a Jeremiah song, J. Cole says, my dick's so big, it's like a foot is in your mouth. And... This just, it was just, it was just this thing that I was like, uh, <laughs> there's just something so like visceral. That, that is, that. that is so true, right? Like one lyric from an artist can mm. put you off them completely. And that's especially tricky for rappers who are just their you know, their lyrics per song is so mm. much higher in terms of uh, quantity. Yes. Than got most a other music, density, yeah. right? So you've got a higher chance of putting someone up, you know, you know, putting a foot wrong, as it were, <laughs> putting, putting a, a dick wrong, <laughs> putting, putting a foot where it shouldn't be to put people off. 
And so, Shag, I'll plant that seed and I'll take you back to this on One Direction, which, as I alluded to, and I alluded to it for a reason, it was a song I used to enjoy blasting around with windows down and sort of half listening to with the children and kind of like, oh, hopefully they don't hear too many swears. Until I sort of properly listened to RD's verse. Now, um, RD is not the best rapper, but he sort of is like a level below H, a level below Dave, two levels below Stormzy, even though we need to talk about Stormzy falling off Chance the Rapper style because I've never really understood what happened there. <laughs> um, but he has this, like all these sexual raps that I don't particularly enjoy, and he's really riffing on the theme of like, I might be short, but I've got a really big penis. <laughs> he's like, don't worry about it. I'm a short guy. Um and so he refers to she's so shocked because my heart's down, my height's downsized and she can't fit it in her mouth right. You know what they say, big things, small packages. And it's really like, that's fine. Like, I'm fine with, no. like, you being content with your body. No, and, one, and having no pride one has ever body. said big things, small packages. That's not a phrase. you got to be like, you know what they say. If oh, it's they not say something... good things, small packages, yes. don't they? Yes. Oh, for fuck's yes. sake. You can't, you can't be like, you know what they say, shag rules. It's like, it's, <laughs> people have had to say it. So he has these brags about, it's like, I'm pretty short, but don't like, and there's a tone of like, don't worry about me being short. Like, it's fine. <laughs> I'm laughing so much. Um, and I'm like, you you can be, sh-. like, that's cool. Like, I know society has, like, there are Western beauty standards, and I totally get that there are, that there are like, different ways of looking at the world. He then refers, so I'm already on alert for maybe this isn't a great song to listen to with the children. Um, he then talks about wanting to fly your girl to Dubai to take a shit in her mouth. <laughs> And it's what? like, what? It's just what? Like, like, we try not to be a kink shaming podcast, but I think that's the sort of sexual conduct that, that, look, of course, one assumes they're consenting adults engaging in this, but even just to be sung about in a really aggressive, braggy way, it's just quite upsetting. And I just, there's this really grim moment in the verse that actually is, is almost why my heart can't deal with the verse any, anyway. He just throws away this line where he goes, oh, I don't think I'd ever want a daughter. And he just says that. And what he's saying is I would not want a loved one of mine exposed to the sort of things I expose my lovers to. And to me, that is just so profoundly horrific. And it led me to the conclusion of I don't want such horrific shit in my life as RD saying this verse. And that led me back to a reflection about horror films, Shag that the subject matter covered, that the depravity engaged in, that the screaming lady with her hands handcuffed and the ripped dress, that the torture porn is in some ways shit that I just don't want in my life. It feels so big, it's like a foot is in my mouth sometimes <laughs> trying, to, trying, to get, trying to get my head around it. And I just feel like maybe it's okay, Shag, that I don't have at least some elements of horror in my life. So, so two things, Peach. First of all, mm. I mean... Like, fuck, like, in fact, three things, right? Like, there is this really gross undercurrent of incelly sort of misogyny that you see online where dudes talk about things like, oh, I could never have a daughter or, oh, and you're right. Like, it's like, you're... You're telling on yourself. You're saying my behavior is so shit that I wouldn't want someone to behave like this to someone I love. And you're right. Like, if if the moment you hear... Like, cause that's the thing. It's like rappers say 
like a lot of fucked things, a lot of, and at the moment, a lot of sexually fucked things. And, you know, any one of those could be the one to be like, you know what, I never want to listen to this rapper again. But when they deeply say something so profoundly, you know, morally bankrupt, it's like, yeah, I can totally see it. And the fact that it's in like a party song, it's like, what are you doing? It's it's such a missed opportunity as well, because like Bugsy's verse is like, hey, I'm a bit of like smooth operator and, you know, like, <laughs> let's have a bit of sex and see how it goes. And I'm like, oh, that sounds like, that's okay for a dance song. <laughs> It's just like RD like totally missed the assignment of like. <laughs> do you think Bugsy heard the verse and was like, "Oh, RD, do you want to, do you want to do any edits on this?" And RD was like, "No, go with it as is." I imagine almost the opposite of RD's like Bugsy. Don't worry, we're just going to talk about the sexual stuff we like. <laughs> and, 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 and Bugsy's like, "Yep, got it. All right, bit of dancing, bit of sex, like bit of kisses. Yep, let's go. I've got it." <laughs> but but back to the J Cole thing. Mm. Would you like J Cole more? When you hear the lyric from Drake's first person shooter where he goes, that Spider-Man meme is just me looking at oh, Drake. It's like, that isn't such a good line. In fact, like, I just wish he hadn't said he had a dick so It's like a foot is in your mouth. Because it's addressed to me as well. Like, there's something, you know, some graphic lyrics just really are directly evocative. It's like, now I feel like I've got a foot slash dick. All right, all right, okay, well. But, Which but, is fine as well, but so yeah, I don't want us to get into kink shaming territory. But it's just I was just listening to a Jeremiah song about like kissing on a plane or whatever it was about. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But mm. your your point as well about the horror films as well, I think, is you know the final thing I want to touch on because it's true. This podcast and we've grappled with it before, where it's like I am exposing you to things that maybe you didn't you you have so far chosen not to have in your life. And I'm yep. like, no, Peach, here you go, because I would like you to feel the same things I do. So, I mean, first of all, I'm sorry, but second of all, <laughs> second of all, no, second of all, they're like, it, it is weird. You know, I, I mentioned this on our socials. It is weird doing a horror podcast at the moment when there is so much like just straight up like horror in the world and there's always yep. been horror in the world like that's not a that's not something that hasn't existed but there's just so much like 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 i'm seeing parents holding their dead mm -hmm. children on social media so much and it kind of puts a weird framing around even the 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 trope we've talked about in horror in recent horror films of like kids are fair game you know like mm. it, it 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 it's it puts us this in is, sort of... This is what Kids of Fair Game looks like. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. yeah okay, well, let's do Kids of Fair Game. So, so I was kind of like, okay, well, uh, what I would like to do this week, it, it didn't feel right to do something like grisly and gory. And Oof. I was actually inspired, weirdly enough, for, for this week's film by a story that happened behind the scenes at Wikipedia. Before we get to this episode, and I know it started with, you know, like us being like, a, you know, taking our time and being like a little bit... Uh, uh, Erudite. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit, but, but also <laughs> like a little bit indulgent. Yeah, we, okay. You know, we can be a bit indulgent in these intros. And so yeah, if you'll... We can. That's right. If you'll indulge me a little bit longer, because I, I think this is amazing, right? So our whole podcast is built mm. on Wikipedia plot synopses. Yes. We often talk about the unsung heroes who mm. essentially build the entire infrastructure of Wikipedia mm. and fill it with the content that we mine for this podcast. Mm. 
And so... I occasionally think about, like, oh, what would happen to Spooko if Wikipedia went down? And I'm like, oh, Shag would probably just do more work. <laughs> <laughs> That's what would happen. That is what would happen. But uh, I... Look, there'd be an AI we could seek film, film summaries from, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, it actually... that I, You know what? In fact, I should probably do that more, actually. Um, <laughs> but, okay. So, 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 so... What's so, Nightmare so. on Elm Street about? Yeah. Told in a, like, <laughs> Pretend Elon you're a Wikipedia plot synopsis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What would a Wikipedia plot synopsis of the Nightmare on Elm Street be? Exactly. All right. Okay. So listen to this. So 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 anyway. So we talk about Wikipedia, mm. but every now and then a story comes out of the shit that goes down behind the words. And I thought this was this became mm. almost inspiration for this episode, but also potentially another Spooko Studios film. Yes. So let me read this out to you. Okay. So for a few years. There was a Wikipedia editor named Lords. Now, remember, you can just choose your editor name. I can be like, I'm, I'm like Bugsy Malone, the editor, right? Like I can, <laughs> I can just, I can just be yeah. like, you know, like that's it, right? Like, cause I'm essentially a nameless. If you did that, I'd choose the real Bugsy Malone. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but that's the, the, I chose that name specifically because for a while there was this Wikipedia editor named Lords who would very occasionally drop tiny hints that her true identity was Lord Hernandez Gonzalez, a moderately popular indie musician from Spain. Everyone was basically like, okay, cool. The hints were subtle, and Lords tried to keep her identity under wraps, not unusual. Do you unusual. reckon they were that subtle? Like, just on reflection, they're like, oh, sorry, guys, can't do any wacky petty passing. Ooh, just got... She's got something on tonight in... Um, She's doing in a Dr- Spanish indie music showcase tonight. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, sorry. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I mean nothing. No, no, yeah. we'll, we'll listen to this. Lords tried to keep their identity under wraps, not unusual for Wikipedia editors. It was kind of an open secret. In general, people tried to respect their privacy. Anyway, Lords mm. was super active on Wikipedia. Five years ago, they ran for adminship and passed. This is not a small feat. Only a few hundred people have as much power. See, I didn't even know that. I didn't know there was this like team of super admins behind Wikipedia that have all the power. As an admin, Lords was spending an incredible amount of time working on Wikipedia. Okay, this is where the story starts to get weird. Writing articles about cricket players and also doing thankless behind-the-scenes tasks like blocking a thousand disruptive editors, deleting a thousand spammy pages. It's a big commitment. So a Spanish indie musician writing about cricket players. Peach, how yes. much, how big a player is Spain in the international cricket community? Spain, you'll be surprised to hear, not very big. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you might be surprised to hear two of the standouts in the recent men's um, ODI Cricket World Cup are cricket powerhouses, uh, the Netherlands and <laughs> Afghanistan. They both played in... They've made prominent contributions. They've toppled such heavyweights as Sri Lanka and South Africa. Actually, that's pretty huge. So Afghanistan had a really great tournament. Oh, Afghanistan came properly. I think they'll end up coming fifth or sixth out of ten and toppled some really big teams. They would have beaten Australia. They had Australia absolutely beaten. And the only thing that saved Australia was one person playing literally the best cricket innings ever played. Ever. And, that, and, that, and it took, like, I guess that's kind of the point. It took a literal miracle, like an outlier so far beyond the extremes of a sport that's been played for 130 years internationally. Um, that was the only way they were denied really a shot at the semi final. So, Afghanistan, look out. 
So, but look, I say that we boycott games against Afghanistan because Afghanistan's government is fucking uncool, as you may know, and has withdrawn funding from women's cricket. And so, Australia, when it is convenient for Australia, boycotts playing cricket against uh, Afghanistan. And um, but it was convenient to play against Afghanistan this time because there were World Cup points uh, to play for. So it's a very cynical interaction Australia tends to have. But uh, fuck. Uh, the government of Afghanistan uh, generally, and of course, its approach to women's cricket and the you know nurturing of women in general. At one point, another mm. editor called Beetle Brocks discovered and publicly revealed that Lords was the singer Lords Hernandez Gonzalez. She was livid that her identity had been disclosed. She never forgave Beetle Brocks. Is sorry, sorry, is this a digression? Is like Lords' Wikipedia page like the best of all time, <laughs> full of like deep insights and like huge numbers of hyperlinks? It's weird. They don't go into it, but but wait, because the story gets weirder. Okay. okay. So since Beetlebrock's comment that ties Lords the singer Lords Hernandez go, to, to to the singer Lords Hernandez Gonzalez is now deleted, we don't know exactly what Beetlebrock's actually said to connect the account. And we don't know if it was an accident. But anyway, Beetlebrox was sorry, but Lords was not letting it go. Lords started emotionally traumatizing Beetlebrox. She was breaking rules just to get in Beetlebrox's way. She bullied new editors into voting certain ways in community decisions, possibly just to spite Beetlebrox. And this is not allowed. And Beetlebrox didn't know what to do. So Beetlebrox escalated the dispute to the arbitration committee, basically the Supreme Court of Wikipedia. Mm. I don't know if that's a that works as a <laughs> uh, with a, a as a, a as a, a trade analogy for Peach, but there you go. <laughs> this is where things got very unusual. At twelve thirty a.m., Lords commented an apology. Then an hour later, at one forty-five a.m., Lords dropped an absolute bomb on everyone and promptly blocked themselves from the site. The Wikipedia editor Lords was the same person who'd been blocked in twenty fifteen for protecting a scam university's Wikipedia page, causing thousands to lose their money. So there was this scam university based in India that people were signing up to and essentially paying huge amounts of money for courses that didn't exist. And Uh editors were going onto this page to be like, this is clearly a scam. Here are all these articles about how this university is a scam. And this editor was blocking all of those things, causing more and more people to lose money until they were eventually blocked. You may be thinking, oh my God, so this Spanish indie musician turned Wikipedian had a dark past life as a scammer. But get this, the Wikipedian lords revealed that they had never been the indie singer. This whole time, lords (laughs) had been a random person in India. And then they wrote, I am user Will Phone, the admin who got blocked years ago. My real-life identity has nothing to do with any celebrity or anyone like that. I am not writing this to have any final laugh. It's just that I feel it appropriate to place it here, especially for... Oh, sorry, I've been pronouncing the, the names wrong. It's Beeblebrox, not Beetlebrox. Beeblebrox, yes. who I almost... Like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy character, yeah. Who I almost emotionally traumatized over the years with the aforementioned Double Slate, a.k.a. pulling him around for revealing my so-called identity. So TLDR... Pulling off an advanced scam on Wikipedia and got blocked, made a new account and spent five years of pretending to be an indie singer, emotionally traumatizing the person who revealed their fake identity and then disappeared off the face of the earth. Oh, that's so good, Chag. That's a really juicy story. And it made me think, all right, it made me think. Mm. Because we keep talking about the, the weird 
sort of order in the chaos that this podcast reveals. Yes. We talk about how, you know, we're going to create films with Spooko Studios and Wikipedia is such a big part of this podcast. Mm. Could there be a film in which the antagonist is simply a Wikipedia editor who just changes things just enough to fuck with people's realities. Like, I'm not yes. saying changes on the Wikipedia. Like, I don't think it changes realities, but I think the edits they make anger people or upset people or cast dispersions on people enough that the real world is affected to disastrous consequences. I've got good news for you, Shag. 1984 exists and it's a <laughs> banger of a novel. <laughs> and so the, <laughs> we should do an updated 1984. Yes, I'm about it. Well, also, Peach, I've got good news for you because Stephen King's 1991 novel Needful Things exists and the 1993 oh. film adaption from, yes. uh, f- uh, from the son of Charlton Heston also exists. And, Philip Peach, today it is the film we are doing on Spooko, 1993's oh Stephen King adaptation Needful Things. Will this podcast ever stop delivering? Like, <laughs> I, like oh, my God, let's get it. Castle Rock Entertainment and Stephen King invite you to visit Castle Rock, Maine. A quiet little town whose population has just increased by one. Do you believe in the devil, Father? I guess I have to. You can't have one without the other. What's he look like? What the hell does he look like? May I take this opportunity to welcome you to Castle Rock on the good Lord's behalf? Why not? So where are you from? Ohio. I've been in this business a long time, and I've learned the pleasure of offering my customers what they really need. He came here to destroy us. Oh, you wish it. There have been two murders and an attempted suicide in this quiet little town, and Mr. Leland Gone is at the bottom of it. You are disgusting. I like that in a person. Everybody that's got it coming is going to get it now. The young carpenter from Nazareth? I knew him well. Promising young man, but he died badly. A famine here, a flood there, a little bloodlust, a broken heart. You can't win. I've got God on my side. We are having fun now. How is it going? I killed my wife. Is that wrong? These things happen. Oh, that the like a contemporarily edited 1991 or 1993 trailer. Jake, there was actually some pacing and, and, you know, fizz and pop to that trailer. Let's do it. You know what? This is also, like I said, it's, it's not, it's not an overtly gory or exploitative film, Mm. but it has one of those sticky horror concepts that, I've loved ever since. I, I think I've read the novel before I, I saw the film. Yeah, nice. And it's it's kind of a it's kind of a perfect concept, right? So essentially, someone who we very much hint is the devil, but never say yeah. is the devil, Leland Gorn, shows yeah. up in a small town and sets up a shop, and like a Wikipedia editor, doesn't actually do anything but subtly influences everyone in town to start attacking each other and eventually kill each other by inflaming tensions and prejudices. 
This is a lot like the Spanish indie music scene. <laughs> so, uh, so it, it kind of, yeah. And you can kind of, like, when we get through this, you can kind of see how you could do a contemporary one of these where it's a Wikipedia editor, like, just fucking with different Wikipedia, oh, like, yes. pages to get to people and maybe, you know, and maybe, yeah, look, I, I don't know how it would work. I haven't got that far. What is the plot of the film Gaslight? Like, yeah, I guess that was nearly 100 years ago. Yeah, okay. Yeah, right. Like, I'm with you, Shag. I'm having fun. I'm having a good time. All right. Best so, tweet of all time. There's no such film as Gaslight. Um, but the, <laughs> that is actually really good. But this, this film as well. So mm. not only is it, like, not super, like, exploitative, it's also not super creepy like they they continually reuse that i think it's an opera like it, it was in the movie fantasia you know that piece of music in the hall of the mountain king the so so that's kind of like the main theme of this film which gives it a sort of like magical late 80s spielbergy sort of vibe until everyone starts killing each other so having fun a mysterious proprietor named Leland Gaunt, claiming to be from Akron, Ohio, arrives in the small town of Castle Rock, Maine, in a sinister-looking black car. Now, when it says sinister-looking, I'm pretty sure it's one of the Mercedes-Benz that, like, the Nazis used to do. You know how, like, like the Nazis' uh, town nice. car was a Mercedes? I thought it was, was going to be Christine, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's like, I think it's like a, like a Nazi-era, yeah. like, town car sort of thing. And he opens a new antique store called Needful Things, which... Good name. Like, sort of doesn't make perfect sense, but I, I like it. I, I... But if you've been to any small town in Australia, I don't know if it's the same in the rest of the world, there's, there's heaps of, like, gift shops that just sell just stuff. <laughs> like, there's no... It doesn't really Oh, like seem... landfill, like, coastal lifestyle shit. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You know exactly what I mean, right? Mm. Yeah. And yeah, 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 hugely. We've got heaps of them on the coast. Yeah, yeah, and it's, so it's like, of course, it kind of makes sense that you would go to a small town and just set up one of these shops. Now, the difference is this store sells various items of great personal worth to the residents, some of which, like a pendant that erases pain or a toy which predicts the outcome of horse races, seem to be supernatural in nature. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, Gaunt doesn't need like these all these items are like super cheap and all Gaunt usually requires is a favor often something he calls a small prank played by his customers on one of the other town residents and like the cool the cool part of it is he's always like don't worry no one will ever find out and it's kind of true because the point of these pranks is to do something that someone else will suspect someone else they're currently rowing with has done to them so they can then respond. It feels like a big brother. Yeah. It feels it, like it, reality television. It's very reality TV, right? Like okay. it's very, it's very much Leland Gorn is basically the producer on Married <laughs> at First Sight. Like that's kind of what it is. Yeah, it does. All right. Gorn's first customer is a boy named Brian Rusk who buys a rare baseball card featuring Mickey Mantle. Boys love antique stores. They go straight in there. <laughs> so, so Leland Gaunt's like, look, this is probably worth like 700 bucks. Brian only has 95 cents, but he's like, okay, let's say you paid for half of it with 95 cents and the other half 
I need you to do this little prank. And we don't, we don't hear what it is, but eventually oh. we see that he has to go and throw turkey poo on the white sheets hanging on the line at a turkey farmer's estate somewhere in town. Yeah, okay. And, and are we to assume this is sort of lighthearted, like slightly mean-spirited but lighthearted pranks to start? Well, think? we don't actually – you don't really know why, but you, just, but you know that – so neighbour Wilma – so, so it, it's, it's, it's a prank on a neighbour, Wilma Wodlowski-Jerzyk, and she's currently feuding with a woman called Nettie. And so I think, I, yeah, maybe from the very beginning, you've got a feeling that, okay, this is, I can kind of see what he's doing. He's kind of fanning the flames of all the sort of small town tensions that are usually kept at bay. Gaunt makes an impression on the townspeople on whom he pulls pranks. One victim of a prank is a corrupt boat salesman and gambler named Danforth Keaton, who embezzled 20000 of the townspeople's tax money to pay off his gambling debts. Keaton finds out from Sheriff Alan Pangborn, who's Ed Harris and kind of the main character, mm. the people are onto him, and in turn... He relays his fears to Gaunt and his hatred of those who refer to him as Buster Keaton. And it, it's, I guess it's one of those Stephen King-isms where he creates this character whose whole thing is he hates people calling him Buster Keaton. But I'm kind of like, if my last name, if I was Shag Bieber and you called me Justin, I'd just be like, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, it's just like a fairly unoriginal joke. Like, yeah, yeah, well yeah. done. Like you it wouldn't, me. yeah, anyway, anyway. To help Keaton with Why his problem. Why are we confiding in Gaunt? How has he won our trust so quickly? So he's very good. Like, so he kind of knows a bit more about you than he would let on, which ah, we know okay. straight away. And he leans into people's, like, vulnerabilities. Mm. So, for example, with Keaton, he sells him a toy racehorse that predicts the outcome of any horse race from which he might recoup the $20,000 and replace the money before the townsfolk find out officially. Oh, Gaunt sells Frank Jewett, a first edition of Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson. He also learns of the rivalry between the Catholic priest, Father Meehan, and Baptist minister, Reverend Willie Rose, when he sells to both of them objects from his shop. Now, everybody who sells objects to, he makes them perform a prank. We don't see all the pranks, we just see some of the pranks. But we know things are in motion. He feels like a sort of internet trolley type character. Like throwing a little hand grenade and then wandering off. And, and this is why mm. I'm like, this could work as a Wikipedia mm. editor. But anyway, so mm. the first hint of Gaunt's true nature is when he has Brian throw muck from the turkey farm onto the newly laundered crisp white sheets hanging on the washing lines at the house of Wilma Jezik. On returning home, Wilma assumes the devastation was caused by her longtime em- enemy, Nettie Cobb. She goes and loudly accuses her of this at Nettie's workplace, the Castle Rock Diner. Brian Rosk meets Gaunt at the lighthouse, where he informs Brian he's not fully repaid his debt and expects payment in full right away. Brian returns to Wilma Jezik's house. Now, Nettie makes apple pies. So, so he throws apples at her house to smash all the windows. So when she comes home, she finds all the windows smashed and apples everywhere. So she assumes Nettie did it. Mm. Nettie Cobb, meanwhile, has bought a Hummel figurine from Gaunt that is identical to one her violent ex-husband had smashed in a fit of rage. In return, she goes to Dan Keaton's house, remember the guy who embezzled all the funds, Mm. and places citation notices all through the house, basically being like, we're accusing you of fraud, allegedly from Deputy Sheriff Norris Ridgwick, who is a like a, a member of the police force that Keaton and him had had a run in earlier in the film, accusing him of all his misdemeanors. 
In the meantime, Gaunt has Hugh Priest kill Nettie's dog in return for a 1950s jacket like he wore at college. This sparks a violent fight between Nettie and Wilma, which ends with them. So one of them is like, you've mm. like ruined my house. One of them's like, you killed my dog. They One has like, uh, one has a, like, what are those square butcher's knives? You know what I mean? Like a cleaver, a meat cleaver. Yeah, one has a cleaver. One has mm. a one has a butcher's knife, and they eventually kill each other by stabbing each other at the same time. Cleaver in the head and butcher's knife through the heart. Which would you choose? Firstly, and have you noticed that capitalism again is the bad <laughs> guy in this film? I mean, or materialism, I suppose, more more specifically. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point, but I think. Yeah, in fact, that's a really good point. Because even though the devil is appealing to their vulnerabilities, mm. and and there's there's a thing that's not mentioned in this Wikipedia synopsis where every time he sells an item to someone, he writes their name in a little book. And every time they die, he ticks their name as if they're kind of selling their soul for these things. Yeah. But it is interesting. It is through the vehicle of capitalism through a shop that the literal selling of the soul happens. Like, because superficially, this is the kind of capitalism I support. Like, like I'm in favor of, you know, small business and, you know, <laughs> going, like going out, like there's a real sustainability to an antiques business. Like, you, like, you, you know, you're, you're getting more value out of something that haven't produced more stuff. You know, it's, it's not just rent seeking. It's you're bringing items to people who want them. I'm, I don't know, Shag, this is, a, this is a funny one. And also the idea of, uh, I guess, paying in kind, you know, paying, you know, bartering. Yeah, and barter. Things, things yeah, that aren't just like go. feeding more, you just aren't just about money and raising your prices. You know, like, you're right. Like, it, who's the real villain in this Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay, all right. Gaunt takes a personal measure towards Alan by giving a necklace to his fiancée Polly Chalmers that cures her crippling arthritis. Gaunt tells Polly for it to work, she must never take it off. Also, Gaunt has this thing where he kind of seduces Polly, and it's just, it's, it's just a bit weird. Like, I, don't, I expect like, it's unnecessary and fucking gross. I it's expect. gross, but it's also like I don't, I don't quite know why it happens in the film, and it's very 90s sexy in that it's not sexy at all. Yeah. Um, anyway. Keaton is found by Gaunt cowering in his shop with a gun. He tells Gaunt that he is thinking of killing Norris Ridgwick to stop him telling everyone about his misdemeanors. Gaunt talks him out of it and takes the gun from him. The good way to stop people finding out about your small crimes is commit a big crime. That's, <laughs> that's good thinking. Brian witnesses the investigation at Wilma Jezik's house and hears the sheriff musing over where the apples came from. Brian is shocked that his actions might have in some way caused the tragedy and tries to talk to Alan about what Gorn had him do, but is too scared to do so. Alan later approaches Brian. Now, remember, Brian's just a kid. Mm. When he's alone at the lighthouse and asks what has got him so scared, Brian explains that Gorn is a monster before trying to shoot himself in the head. In the book, he kills himself. In the 90s, I guess you couldn't have a kid kill themselves. Yeah. Fucking hell. Yeah, okay. The gun goes off, but the sheriff manages to save the boy, and Brian is hospitalized. Meanwhile, Alan begins to suspect that Gaunt may not be what he seems. We already know he's got magic powers because he cured the arthritis, don't we? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Father Meehan slashes the tires on Hugh Priest's truck. 
Hugh Priest sees what has happened to his truck when he's thrown out of the bar for being too drunk. Alan returns from meeting with Brian and is now very suspicious of Gorn. He tries to warn Polly and asks her to get rid of the necklace, but she is unwilling to remove it. After Alan has gone, she tries prying the necklace open to see what is inside and gets an electric shock which throws the necklace across the room and Polly is immediately crippled by her arthritis, worse than it's ever been, and cannot reach to pick up the necklace. Gaunt appears in her bedroom and replaces the necklace on Polly's neck. He states the price for a necklace will be $20 and a small prank. Polly is so grateful, she pays him immediately and is clearly mesmerised by Gaunt, who then seduces her. So it is in here. Oh, God, the power of it. Like, yeah, okay, this is very 90s. Fuck. After which he states that Alan is corrupt and has been embezzling money from the town with Keaton for years. Gaunt convinces Polly to go to Alan's yacht to look for the money. She does and sees much money strewn over her fiancé's desk. Polly phones Alan from the yacht, accuses him of the crime, and in disgust calls off the engagement. Keaton becomes afraid that everyone, including his wife Myrtle, is out to get him, and Gaunt convinces him that that he is his only ally. Gaunt also has Keaton attack Deputy Norris Ridgwick at the police station. Alan manages to subdue Keaton by handcuffing Keaton to his car. Shortly after this, Keaton manages to escape Ridgwick by kicking him in the groin. He then drives home, where he accuses his wife of having an affair with Norris and kills her with a hammer. Luckily, we don't see this. It's just Fuck implied. Me, this is escalating so quickly. Yeah, sorry. Right, right. Don't it see this. Yeah. The phone rings and it is Gaunt. He tells Gaunt, like, there's this moment where he's like, I just killed my wife. Is that wrong? Uh, okay. Gaunt tells Keaton to come and see him as he has something for him that will make him feel better. Hugh Priest goes into the bar with a shotgun and straight up to the owner, who also pulls out a shotgun from behind the bar, and they shoot each other. Gaunt's pranks spread throughout the town and its citizens. Mistaken suspicion, paranoia, and anger spread with it. There's a point in the book, which I fucking mm. love, and it's kind of in the movie. I, I, can't, I don't think they get the quote quite right, but in the book, it gets to a point where he's, he just stops selling things and he just starts selling guns. And, like, I think the line is, he says, in the end, everyone just wants guns. Fuck. That's actually a really good line. So Gaunt starts selling his customers guns, encouraging them to kill whoever wronged them, playing on their greed and fear. Gaunt has Keaton place explosives in in the town's Catholic church, where Alan is inside talking to Father Meehan, relaying his new suspicions that Gaunt is the devil incarnate, but Meehan refuses to believe him because Gaunt has got to him too. The church explodes, but Alan and Meehan manage to escape with their lives. Father Meehan believes that Reverend Willie Rose is behind the attack on the church and leaves to fight him. A riot sparks throughout the town, with Gaunt watching from the sidelines. Alan tries desperately to restore restore order. He pulls his gun on Father Meehan, who is trying to behead Reverend Rose, and Gaunt encourages him to shoot them. Alan fires into the air, much to Gaunt's disappointment getting everyone's attention, and this is where the movie, which had so much potential, crashes down. Everyone just relax. Gaunt's the devil. Alan convinces the townsfolk of Castle Rock to come to their senses, exposing Gaunt's true nature and his web of lies and manipulation. He's basically like, Peach, I know you're trying to kill your, your neighbor, but what did Gaunt have you do? And he's like, well, I played this prank, and it's like, where are you? And like, so basically, it's like five minute exposition of all the townsfolk explaining what happened, and then they all come to their senses. That's really deeply unsatisfying. 
Then do they like, 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 Gaunt, get out of town, you're a baddie. No. Now remember, Keaton, who is too far gone, walks up to Alan and Ridgewick, pointing a gun at them with a bomb strapped to himself, threatening to blow everyone up. And Gaunt's like, do it. Like, Gaunt's basically like, this is our plan. Go into town, blow everyone up. He is talked down by Alan, who, who turns him against Gaunt. Keaton walks up to Gaunt, who taunts him about his inadequacies and repeatedly refers to him as, as Buster. Infuriated, Keaton's like, don't call me Buster, tackles Gaunt through the Needful Things store window, setting off the bomb and destroying the entire shop. So he like busted up, but he like blew up. <laughs> he really oh, was yeah. Buster Keaton, eh? Oh, uh, I don't love this one, Chag, but yeah, keep going, keep going. Defeated but completely unharmed, Gorton emerges from the burning wreckage of his store, saying that this was not his best work. Gaunt walks up to Alan and Polly, telling them they make a cute couple, they will get married, and he will encounter their grandson in 2053 at 10am in Jakarta when they will both make the news. He then departs, presumably to continue his vicious evil work elsewhere, leaving in the same black car in which he arrived. Was it vicious evil work? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's Wikipedia's words, not mine. Yeah, uh, like, it, like it, to, to, this, this is your classic horror film. Like, uh, endings are hard, Jack. Like, that's <laughs> like a classic. Like, ending, endings are hard, but in defense of me being unhappy with his ending, I think you can make it more gloomy. Like, I think you can kill everyone in the town. Because I think what was shown was Gaunt's methods are as flimsy as a speech from a police officer. Um, and if your efforts, if your devilish efforts can be defeated by uh, a, members of a profession who a lot of us have views about and not all those views are universally positive, then it suggests that you're not that formidable a foe at all. And so... Like the scary bit of the villain surviving at the end of the horror film is like, oh shit, they're like super tough and scary and they can't be stopped. It's like, well, we just saw Gaunt be stopped by a fucking speech from an idiot. <laughs> from an idiot. Um, so I'm not too, like, uh, I feel like this one really didn't stick the landing. I don't know, Shag, what, what sort of feeling were you left with? Look, I know that Satan has a lot on his plate because there are 200 <laughs> devils buried across the world that <laughs> Russell Crowe and his Italian <laughs> accent yeah. are looking up, are, you know, are going after. But yeah, I, I kind of agree. Like, it sucks to say, and especially like, I feel, you know, fuck, even now saying it, it feels weird saying this, but like, this needed a feel-bad club ending. Yep. This needed the town succumbing to chaos. This needed the town effectively being wiped off the map and then him yep. moving. Like, this needed the town to be like one of those ghost towns at the end where it's like, whatever happened to this town? Or like, I, like I want his book to have a map and he like ticks the little town, you know, everyone's down there and he's got another town to go tick or something like that. But also, this is one of those things where, and again, like, I think this director, who I said before is the son of uh, Charlton Heston. Uh, and it's kind of yes. like, fuck, like Nepo babies have been around forever. Uh, and, you know, like he, he hasn't really done a lot of note. So mm. he's not like this formidable director. So mm. I can, I can kind of see how some of these choices weren't the best choices. Mm. But that bit at the end where he's like, number one, he goes, this wasn't my best work. But then he goes, 
I'll see your grandson in 2020, in 2053 at 10 a.m. And it's like, well, if you can see the future, why didn't you see the future of this and make it work better? But are you deaf as well? Are you deaf or are you the devil as well? Like, we're not watching Final Destination. Like, like it's sort of a throwaway of like, oh, okay, sort of future predicting, sort of arthritis healing. Like, pre- presumably he's left a blessing on the person whose arthritis he cured. I don't know, Shag. It does just make me wonder just how big his dick is. <laughs> no, stop. You can't, we can't be that podcast. <laughs> Uh, This was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?